Welcome to Run This World. I'm your host, Nicole DeBoom. I can't believe I've been doing this show for five and a half years, which is evidenced, evidenced? I think it's a word. We're, we're using it today. Evidenced by today's guest, who was on the show for episode 17, five and a half years ago. She is one of my favorite people on the planet. She's had a lot of growth and been through a lot of things in the last five and a half years. I know you're going to love this conversation. And let me pause for a moment to say that most of my episodes are live. You never know what you're going to get on a live show. Sometimes the sound is funky. Sometimes we say ridiculous things. (laughs) If it's not too bad, it stays in. Um, So today, get ready for a fun conversation with, as I said, one of my favorite people on the planet. She's a pro runner. She's a pro realtor. She is a pro mama. Her name is Sarah Vaughn. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks for having me again. You know, I'm so bummed that I don't live near you anymore and I can't just run into you and all of your beautiful children and we have to literally talk virtually now in order to connect. I know, I miss you, but I'm glad that you guys are enjoying your new town up in the mountains. Um, We are. are. We are, and you know, um, it's funny, I I did run into you all the time in Boulder, mostly when we were naked in the locker room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's where it happens. Exactly. <laughs> That's where the magic happens. Exactly. Um, I have been following you for so long. I mean, ever since before the first time you were on the show. And five and a half years just flew by in a flash. I, I was thinking about our last conversation on the show here. And it was really cool. I actually listened to it during my convalescent walk today. <laughs> because I'm, as you know, I'm recovering from back surgery. But um we we did this episode with a four and a six-year-old playing and we kept getting interrupted and they were like mommy I hurt myself (laughs) yeah well we thought it would be a good idea to put him on a trampoline while we did it so I was thinking about that the other day Uh, well and and I remember afterwards I don't know if we ate ate together had a meal or something but we had pancakes we did. I was like, oh, can you just cut all the strawberries? And I just remember you cut all the strawberries. from. It's like so fun. Yeah. Um, and it was really cool because I was also like, I wonder what her final nugget was and how that might um, come into play today. And I'm going to remind you of it. Okay. Because you've been busy. You haven't had time to listen to all the old podcasts you've been on forever. Right. I asked you, you know, what advice you could give to people to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way. And you said, you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of anyone else. I, I love that. And thanks for reminding me because I could not remember what I would have said. <laughs> so that's great. Yeah, it's so still so true. I mean, do you think that you have like actually taken that advice to heart? I think so. I mean, sometimes running an endurance sport in general at a high level can feel pretty selfish. And I think it's a fine line between like taking care of yourself and like putting yourself before everybody else, you know? Um, So I think I do a pretty good job of balancing that sort of because I just have to, you know, I'm just involved with my kids and I do things, you know, set up my life so that I'm spending time with them and everything I can't be too selfish 
But there are times, especially during a track season when I'm traveling a lot and um, have a lot on my schedule, that it, it feels like borderline selfish. But I remind myself that I am a better mom for like pursuing these endeavors, not only like the day-to-day hours I put in, um, but also like just fully per- pursuing my dreams. That like makes me a more grounded mom and also probably makes me a more tolerable spouse <laughs> and all those things. Like probably just I'm a happier person and therefore I can show up better for the people in my life. I, I love that. Um, I also think that you're following your own dreams too. And a lot of people, when they pop out a bunch of kids, they stop following their own dreams and they just start worrying about what their kids' dreams are. Mm-hmm. And when your kids are older, they're going to look back and the fact that you continued to pursue your own passions is going to play out for them. They're going to see that. I know it. I hope so. I hope that's what they remember. And I feel like I did a better job even just since David, like, or the last year, um, involving them more directly in like my goal setting sessions and sort of just like telling them what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And they seem a little more on board. Um, and it partly it's just cause they're getting older too and can understand on a better level. But, um, like when I set out to do my latest race, the first marathon, I, I told them and I sat them down and like, I said, this is what the next 12 weeks is going to look like. Is everybody on board? And it was kind of like a team huddle. Hurrah, let's do it. And that way, like in the thick of it, when things got crazy and I was tired and, we were having takeout for dinner again and all those things, you know, they were like, but it's because of this one big goal and the end, you know, is maximum 12 weeks away. Um, I don't know. That made it, that made it less selfish too. And more like, I hope they can remember that also. Well, yeah. I mean, there's definitely something to a team effort in everything we do. I mean, even just recently I went and had surgery. You, you can't go have surgery and not have some kind of team on the flip side, ready to support you, you know, and in what you're doing, it was both, it was in the lead up to something really huge. Actually, I want to pause for a minute. I want to talk about some of the things that have happened in your life in the last five years before we get to this big marathon, you know, crescendo, right? So I need to remind, I need to tell you something hilarious. And I wish that I could figure out how to pull this little sound bite out of your last podcast. But I asked you five and a half years ago, like, you we said, do you think there's another, <laughs> you know, it's coming. We're yeah. like, do you think there's another um, marathon, like, uh, not marathon, Olympic trials in you? Because at the time you were a 1500 meter runner and mm-hmm. that was, that was your jam. And you said, I go, I think you got two more. You go, well, I at least have one. And I laughed and said, you can try to pop out another baby in between. You were like, no way. Although I think my husband is sort of still holding out hope for a boy. <laughs> yeah, I was dying. <laughs> I put it into the universe. I put it into words on a podcast and here we are. <laughs> So yeah, anything you say on Run This World just might come true. So let's talk about David. You just mentioned him. Like what happened? You said you weren't going to do this. Did you purposely do this? Or was this one of those like kiki things where you're like, well, I was on birth control and guess what? 
that doesn't work. It was, yeah, it was sort of like a uh, in between. It was like um, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, in this really short window, and we're just you know very compatible, my husband and I. And of course, it happened if we were going to let it. So, um, so here we are. We thought we'd bookend our child rearing with you know some surprises. I just love that, you know, but also it tipped the estrogen balance a little bit in your house because you have three girls. Your first, I think Kiki's your oldest, right? Right. And uh, I mean, you had Kiki when you were what, 19 or 20? Yeah, I was 20. Oh my gosh. It's so, so insane that, you know, you've just been such a force. And then Kalia and then right. Kathy, who I remember as a baby is so funny. And I've yeah. actually met David because we moved away, but um, my gosh, what a crew. And so I, it kind of leads me to think, well, you have some experience with having babies during and through a training cycle. And they've all been different. So can you talk a little bit about what happened when you realized you were pregnant and, and how you changed your plans or your mindset around them? Yeah, I mean, I think upon discovery of each pregnancy, um, there's always like a little bit of... Um, well, maybe in the second two pregnancies, like a little bit of relief that I knew I got to take a little break from intense training and that I got to trust it a little more with each pregnancy because I knew I could come back if I wanted. So um, I think with Kiki and even Kalia, like I was still a little uncertain and wasn't trusting my body fully to like completely step away from intense training and and. I didn't, I don't know if I had just, I didn't have the confidence that I could return to the same level of sport, um, as when I left, when I got pregnant. So the second two, it was, it was, I just was more confident in myself and my ability. And I also was okay with not coming back if it just wasn't in the cards. Um, I remember having a conversation with Brent probably at like the three month mark when I couldn't really run anymore. It was uncomfortable. Um, and I just like, wasn't feeling motivated and I had been sick, like, you know, for 14 weeks. And it was kind of like, well, if who knows what's going to happen after this, but if I don't come back, like I'm pretty happy with the career I've had and I'm okay with that. So, um, yeah, I don't, I, I hope that answers your question, but it was just, it's been kind of different and like progressively, um, I don't know, more confident in my ability, but also just okay with whatever happens. Well, it's interesting because when you make the decision or, you know, kind of make a decision to add to your family, the more kids you have, I just have this like idea that people are like, oh, now it's turnkey. I know how to do this thing. <laughs> you know, I have a friend who had like seven kids and she's like, yeah, we just decided to have eight. And like, it just seemed like, oh, that just sounds so easy. You know, you just kind of keep adding on to this crew. But um, it does, it does help actually, because what I'm hearing from you is that you gained perspective about your own pursuits and yeah. uh, there's comfort in that. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, not that it gets easier as you, the more kids you have, but it's, it's, yeah, if you've done it before, you kind of know what to do, especially at the stages that our younger ones are at. I feel like we've mastered those, you know, infant, toddler, early childhood stages as parents. My 15-year-old, I'll tell you, I was having a conversation with her the other day and I had to stop and apologize and be like, I've never parented a 15-year-old before, so I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> but like, you know, the the younger siblings will benefit from um, from her experience. Oh my gosh. Well, what was the problem? <laughs> mm -hmm. Just teenager stuff, you know, pushing boundaries, exploring, you know, nothing life 
altering or devastating, but <laughs> just being a bolder teenager. Yeah. You know, I think it's fun to see people who are super successful in a certain arena, like for you in sport and we're about to get to real estate here. Um, and then see them in their like organic role in their household. And you're just like, whoa, they're just like normal people, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's comfort in that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For um, sure. I mean, that's something I've always loved about you is just how down to earth you are. And I know it's partly, hey, it's your Nebraska roots, baby. Right. Right. But, uh, <laughs> Right. Yeah, it makes it makes people want to root for you. And I always have have rooted for you. Thank and you. you know, let's talk let's move on to one of the other things that's happened in the last 5 years. Uh last time we we talked on the show, you were just starting a real estate mm -hmm. career. And I've seen you like you've been scrappy. You just have, <sighs> like you're crushing it. You're doing great and I want to understand like how that career has, I don't know, changed things in your world. Yeah, it's changed a lot. I mean, I think five and a half years ago, we were renting a little place over by Rally Sport and kind of, you know, making ends meet probably more comfortably than we had the year before. But still, yeah, still felt like very young in my journey, um, in my career. I think my competitiveness has carried over to real estate. I I'm in part of a small um, office, but really high producers. And I definitely upped my game. That change happened in 2017. And uh, yeah, I just like, I just get competitive. I want to be the top producer in my office. I want to be the top producer in Boulder someday. Like I'm, I'm edging, I'm working my way up. I'm like breaking into that um, top echelon, but I'm also like, I balance that with my down to earthness and like providing a level of service with my, to my clients that I feel comfortable with. And um, yeah, I think what it's changed for us as a family is like, and it pours over into my running is just like a level of comfort and security that we didn't have probably the first five to seven years of our marriage. Um, we moved a lot. We were renting. We were like moved to Portland, moved back, you know, picking up odd jobs. I would substitute teach. I would do this and that. And also you never knew really what your income was going to look like any given year with running. Even when Brent was running too, you know, he could get reduced on fairly arbitrary terms. He could make prize money. He could not. It was, um, I don't know, it was pretty unstable and not like the best way to raise kids. So I'm really happy that we've reached a level where even though we're like both self-employed and work on commissions, so there's some variability in that. But for the most part, like we have some, like we've, this is the longest we've lived in any house. We bought our house and we're going on four years and that's four times as long as we've lived anywhere. So I'm like really proud of that. I'm really proud of that too. I think it's amazing. You know, it, it also, you know, brings to light this idea that in order to be great at something, you must quit everything else, right? I'm going to share just a quick thing. When I was really young, a kid in high school, I was running track and swimming and I was doing really well at both, like top of the state level. But when I made Olympic trials in swimming, I was like, well, I have to be done with running now because mm -hmm. I'm obviously like swimming's going to be the thing. But here's what happened. I never got faster at swimming, even though I quit running and put all my focus into swimming. And so I hear you and I hear that you're like adding family. You're adding 
a new career. You're adding things into this life and your running actually continued to get better. Instead of taking away from it, it seems to enhance it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a really good point. I think, I think for me, it was really important to like divorce the idea of um, making money um, related to my running performance. Like I chased a sponsorship and I chased prize money for so long, so many years. And because we were raising a family and trying to keep up in Boulder, um, it just created like a lot of like unnecessary pressure, I would say. Um, and as soon as I could make money from another source, even though it was adding to my plate and making my day busier and, you know, putting more on my to-do list, it took so much pressure off of my running that um, my performance, I think that's what allowed my performance to step up was that I didn't care if a sponsor was going to sponsor me anymore. Like I got to the point where I was like, I've done all the things I need to do um, and they're still not going for it. Fine. I'm going to pave my own, my own way here. And also like just the prize money didn't matter. You know, I just wanted to run as fast as I could and win as many races as I could just for, just for myself. And, um, yeah, I think making money in real estate, like it's not always all about money, but making money in real estate definitely was helpful. You know, I know a lot of realtors and you're, they're all competitive and they love what they do and you're motivated by the money. I mean, you just are, you, that's part of being in that field, but it doesn't mean you can't love what you do at the same time. And I wonder do you remember what it felt like when you got your first deal or sold your first home? Oh my gosh. Yes. That's, that's kind of a funny story. I was, um, <laughs> I sold my first house. I got my commission check. I went to take it to the bank and then I had to turn around and write my father-in-law a check for the entire amount because we had borrowed money from him. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that's where we were in our lives. When my cash, my first commission check, every penny went into my account and then straight back out. So yeah. It was a break even. That's all right. Yeah. I mean, it took, it, it went up from there, but yeah, that was, that was the story of my first commission check. <laughs> it's like touch my bank account for about two hours. Oh my God. That is so funny. Um, but you're obviously like you, you got to get out of debt to start filling the buckets there. And, and yeah. it feels good to make good, especially yeah. when it's family. Totally. I hate owing people money. I mean, it was a short loan. I was so, I felt, I felt very proud to, to pay him off in full and just like move on. And, you know, every, every year after that, I continue to grow my business and it's a beautiful thing here in Boulder, like the endurance community. A lot of my clients come from that end. And so I feel like my real estate career sort of fed off of my running successes and vice versa. Um, they've kind of like it's not a hundred percent of my real estate business, but it's a good chunk. And it feels, it feels so good to like help young Boulder, um, endurance athletes like land here and I can orient them with the trails and the gyms. And if they have kids, you know, the preschools and all of that. Um, I, I love that aspect of my job and just like the customer service part of it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where you thrive. You know, um, you mentioned chasing, like when you're chasing things, they are elusive. When you mm -hmm. stop chasing and you figure out why you're actually doing it, things come to you. Pretty cool. Yeah. That happened yeah. to you. Well, and in the last five years, you had another Olympic trials that 
you were great. I mean, you did, you did great. And, um, in those trials, you were still identifying, I think yourself as a 1500 meter runner and also maybe steeplechase. Is that right? Right. Yeah, I did. I did end up going for the steeplechase, uh, this past year. So that was that something that you, I don't remember you being a steeplechase athlete. I dabbled in it in college and then I had a couple of years before Cassidy was born um, that I did it and I really never returned to it because it, it took a little extra time commitment like setting up hurdles and finding the facility with a water jump and just maybe like the biggest barrier was just access to be able to practice because um, it's a pretty specific demand on your body. So it kind of just organically came about. It was sort of my way to dodge the 5k. Brent was really pushing the 5k and I just don't love, um, I don't love that event. So I was like, how about the 3k <laughs> steeplechase? So, uh, it worked out pretty well. I, I had a pretty disappointing Olympic trials, but the season overall was, was pretty solid. So, yeah. Well, and you had a baby at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I mean, he was, the pandemic year honestly benefited me really uh, a lot. He, I would not, I don't think have been quite ready. Um, the year before I was, it was a slower comeback from David for sure. And then as soon as they announced that everything was pushed back, I really let down and like took my time getting back into shape instead of rushing. So that was a huge benefit to me, but, um, but yeah, he was still pretty young you know, and I, had, I hadn't raced in two and a half years when I returned to the track last December. Um, last December was my first race and yeah, I think it was two and a half years. So, um, it was a long comeback, but it all, it all worked out. Well, it's, it's so interesting because we're about to enter a new chapter here when you decided to jump up in distance, but mm -hmm. for so many years while you were chasing, I've been thinking like, what would I have been feeling if I was in your shoes? And I just jotted some things down. So did you ever feel sort of bitter about the fact that people around you were signing deals, but, and you were like, just about as good as them, you know, but you weren't getting the deals. Did you feel bitter about that? Yeah, at one point I had to consciously stop keeping track of like what other people were doing, who they were signing with. I had this like <laughs> notebook and I would like keep head to head records of certain people. And like there were a couple of women that I literally never lost to. I'd always beaten every time I raced and they were getting deals and signing with shoe companies and I wasn't. And yeah, I did. I went through a couple of years where it was like really frustrating. It was really hard. Um, but like you can't, I don't know, you can't wallow in that. And I was not running well off of that. Like trying to prove myself over and over again was not working for me. Some people do okay when they're, you know, painted into a corner or when they have a lot of external pressure. And that I think because I had kids and because I had family to take care of, like that just, it was too much. It was, I would, I would perform really badly when I thought about sponsorship stuff. Well, and it's interesting because I, I was, I couldn't believe that your story wasn't being like, you know, just grabbed by some big company. And I remember just being like, Sarah, I'll give you all the clothes you want, but yeah. I don't have shoes and we don't have money at skirt sports. And you were yeah. like, yeah. Do it. like whatever, you know, but I, it was like, Oh, I just felt like it was unfair. And, yeah. um, and, and that's just, that's a shitty feeling, this unfairness, you know, like, does everything have to be fair? Of course not. Like there's, 
things companies are looking for. And obviously, until recently, you just weren't on their list. So, you know, did you ever hit a point where you felt like you were trying to force things? I think after 2017, when I made the World Champs team in the 1500, we had had a conversation with a company beforehand. And Brent was like, probably more confident than I was before I ran that final. He started calling companies and was like, Sarah's going to make the team. What will you sign her for if she does? And we had a few like offers and they just never came into fruition. And I was like, I didn't know about it really like those conversations before the race. But after the race, when I did the thing that they said I should do to get the contract, yeah, we, we were on the phone a lot. We were like trying to figure out what else I needed to do. I mean, we didn't even take the time to really celebrate that win of making the team because it was like, well, now they want to see if she can race run a little faster or what she does at this race. Or, and so I was just like my own schedule and my own agenda went out the window and I was just trying to please these old white men. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. And that's one of the things we need to change in this world. We need yeah. to get more diversity going on all levels. And, you know, did you ever just hit a point where you're like, maybe I should just stop this. It's just not working for me. Yeah. After 2018, um, when I had some really poor performances, like what I'd referenced before, where I would think, okay, if I can just do this, then they'll finally sign me. And I would think about that before a race and I would calculate my splits based on this time that they're looking for and try to run that exact thing. And I think I was plenty fit enough on several occasions and had the opportunity to do it. But with that mentality, I would crumble. I would have really good races followed by really poor races. I had a really up and down season in 2018. It was the first year I failed to make a U.S. final. And I was like, after that, I was like, I can't, I don't even care anymore. Like, I'm just going to only return to the track when I want to, um, just for me, when I'm ready. And just no more, like at that point, I was doing well enough in real estate that we were, you know, we bought our house in 2017 and we were doing fine. Um, that's when I really consciously was like, no, nah, the money doesn't matter anymore. That's, you know, when you have those moments and they force you to back off, I really think that that is your test to determine if the true love and passion are still there. And fortunately they were because you continued yeah. and which kind of leads us to where we are now because one of the cool things about running is that there are many sports within the sport you know right. like you can switch distances you can switch terrain you know you right. can become a mountain runner you can do all kinds of things and as you get older you often get better at some of them right. yeah <laughs> i'm gonna tell you i think you're in your prime of your life for the new sport that you just entered let's talk about this marathon situation <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it does in so many ways feels like a different sport. Um, like when after the race, immediately after at the award ceremony, the um, MC was like, how long have you been training for this race? And I, I quickly answered 12 weeks. And then I was like, oh, but actually my whole life. <laughs> like, so in a way, it feels like a different sport because I, we did do a specific training block for it. That was that was pretty short. But I've been doing 20 mile long runs for for years. I've been doing, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90 mile weeks for a decade. So um, yeah, it's, it was a good transition and, uh, I don't know if it really could have gone any better. 
Can you talk about like why that marathon and when, like what happened when you, did you just look at Brent one day and you were like, I think it's time. And he was like, we're signing you up for the marathon. Like he knew exactly what he was talking about. Yeah, he was, he's been there since 2018. He's been telling me I should run a marathon um, just based on what he's, he's seen in training and what I sort of naturally am gifted at and what I have to kind of push a little harder at. So he was totally on board. The season, the track season, didn't go stellar. Like it, it was okay, but my trials was, was pretty, um, disappointing. And so I took a couple week break and then in the fall, we always load up on mileage. Like I did hundred mile weeks all last fall and we were riding the training and it just looked so daunting on paper. Like I just didn't have a lot of motivation to be like hundred mile weeks all fall, no racing until March or April or May, even for track. I just was feeling kind of like, not up to the task, especially coming off of a bummer track season. So I was like, can we just do a winter race? Like, can we find some sort of road race in December? And he suggested the half marathon championships were the same day. And I was like, Ooh, that seems like, I don't know. A, a U.S. championship doesn't seem like a good idea um, for it. Cause it seemed still experiment uh, like an experiment at that point. Um, and all the other majors in the fall, were too quick. Like this was in September that we decided this. And so Cal International being in December, at the beginning part of December, just timing wise, it made sense. It was competitive enough that I knew I'd have people to run with, but it was low key enough that I thought I could hang with the lead group. It was just kind of the perfect mix of, you know, clout of, of that race. And they let me in and, um, and the timing, the timing was great. Okay, so for anybody who's in the dark, something magical happened. And this was only two weeks, no, three weeks ago now? I think it's four weeks, actually. Yeah, it was December 5th. Are you still eating donuts? Or are you like- oh, yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> having a hard time get coming off of this break, but yes, donuts are on my table right now. Well, I was just like rolling through Instagram, and all of a sudden, I see Sarah Vaughn sprinting like I thought you were doing like a hundred meter race you know you're sprinting across the finish line and there's just this palpable joy but then I look up on the clock and it says I think 22653 right right? yep and I was like holy shit she just did her first marathon and you crushed it wow thank you you. yeah oh my god Gosh. And so I sent you a note and I was like, get on the show. I want to talk about this race. Yeah. Can you just, can you take us through your race report? Sure. Yeah. I mean, man, road racing, like to go back to the point that it's like, feels like a different sport. Um, from start to finish, it feels like a different sport. The start line, looking back at thousands and thousands of runners about to do the same race I was lining up for. That was really cool. Um, that track racing just can't really do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, a little chaotic in the beginning, which I didn't love, but no, I need to get better at, you know, running in a pack. And I just, I just felt really good the whole way. If I'm honest, I, I kept waiting and trying to be patient to, to, you know, I figured it was going to blow up or fall apart at some point. And it just, I had my legs the whole way. Um, even when I tried to make it hurt at the end, I felt like I could, I was responding a little bit. Um, 
although I didn't calculate that I was running as fast as I was, like I thought I was going to be a lot closer to 2.30 um, because I kept missing splits on my watch and was trying not to pay attention to all of that. But I was just trying to race. And yeah, I mean, the finish, the start line and the finish line were obviously my favorite things about that race. But sprinting at the end was only because I was turned the last corner and it's a pretty short straightaway, um, like maybe 50 meters. And I was way faster than, you know, a couple minutes faster than I thought I was going to be. And I thought, oh, if I could just sprint, I could stop the clock before it gets to 27. (laughs) So that was the, that was the last burst there, but it was a really cool experience. Well, you know, the clock didn't stop, but yes, you went under 20. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It was amazing to watch the joy on your face. And I'll be honest, it seemed like it was a surprise. I think it was a surprise. Well, I thought going into the race, um, I could run somewhere between 224 and 228, um, just based on workouts that we had been doing. But the last, really the last 10K, like the last six miles, I kept calculating what I thought I was going to run. And it was like, two thirties. And so I think the surprise was that maybe I was just so oxygen deprived and like in the hurt locker those last miles that I couldn't do math correctly. And I was like, Oh wait, I am doing it after all. Um, and it was more in line with what I was expecting. So that was, that was really exciting. It was like, I think at the end of a marathon too, part of the elation is just that it's over. (laughs) Yeah. It's over. Oh my gosh. But so were you kind of, did you have this feeling of walking on air, like at the end, were you just like, I just surpassed, like, yeah, you had this idea you could run in a time frame, but on race day, it's different. Like conditions are different. Right. The crowd, the pack, you might miss your nutrition. Like yeah. that stuff kind of goes out the window a little. So crossing the line in your very first ever marathon, the fifth fastest time by an American woman in 2021, um, you had to be pretty darn happy. I was super happy. I think, um, I, I kind of had that time in my head. Like I knew I was going to be one of the top marks of the year, which was super exciting. Um, but I don't know. And I'm still kind of a newbie in the marathon world. I didn't realize until a few hours afterwards that it was the fifth fastest debut marathon ever by an American woman. Um, I think I'm like more proud of that stat because it, it puts me like, I feel like it's a starting point for me and I'm, I know I'm going to get faster. And so it puts me on a list with like some really cool names that I totally admire. And, um, I don't Tell know. Me, just, who, who are they? Um, well, Jordan Hesse has the record and Annie Frisbee has just finished New York a few weeks before I ran. So she's on the list now. Um, Kara Goucher's on the list and I can't remember the other one. Um, but you know, it might, it might be Molly Huddle. Those are like, awesome names in the marathon world. So (laughs) yeah, I mean, I surpassed, I surpassed Dina Castor for a debut. Um, granted I'm a little bit older and did it like later in my career. They probably all did it a little bit younger, but, um, I just, I do feel like it's a starting point. And so, um, yeah, I was really excited to hear that. So I guess to answer your question, like when I finished, yeah, I was excited and relieved and like, oh, I did this. But then like, I think the excitement grew in the hours after when the realization of what I did actually sunk in because I was like learning all these things about what my time actually meant. I didn't really know. You know, uh, earlier you said you used to operate on this whole, like, if I do X, then I will feel Y or Mm -hmm. I'll get Z, you Mm -hmm. know, like 
if I am able to succeed here, then I'm going to be happy, mm-hmm. you know? And by taking that away, um, it's really interesting because a lot of people cross the line. They're happy when they cross the line, but the happiness fades right? because they're like, oh, that's it. Mm-hmm. For you, it was the opposite. You took away that expectation or that hope or whatever it is, and your happiness grew. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, I was, I was, it's been a really fun last four weeks. We'll put it that way. Well, okay. So this elusive thing that ha- you were chasing for so many years, a deal, with somebody to help support you financially, but also to just freaking recognize that you're a star, you know, you deserve it. It happened. It's on Instagram, but of course we don't know who it's with yet. Do we? Well, I, I'm, I can announce it. I'm in the, um, we'll have some posts going up on, on Friday. So, um, I assume by the time this airs, it'll all be, I'll be out there. So I'm excited. I'm happy to talk about that. Do it. Who's it with? It's with Puma. No. Oh my God. I love them. Yeah. What a great yeah. fit for you. They are, they're going to provide everything. Their it's lifestyle, really their cool. high performance. You are going to run fast with them and with yeah. their support. Thank you. Their shoes that they've developed the last year and a half have been pretty awesome. Um, they sent me some samples to try. I ran them this morning for the first time and they feel great. I'm super comfortable in their gear, which was like sort of my main concern. And then on top of that, the kids are stoked, you know, they're going to get some cool gear and Brent's happy. And yeah, it's just, it's really fun. I mean, they were on the phone with us within hours of crossing the finish line. Like I, wasn't even thinking about that. I crossed the finish line. I FaceTime my kids. I call my mom. And then we get a call from a friend who works for them. And he was like, hey, do you guys want to talk to Puma? Like they called me to get your phone number. I'm like, yeah, cool. Let's talk. Why not? I mean, they were just on it right away. And it came together fairly quickly, but they are super enthusiastic. They're excited to tell my story. Um, when we were negotiating, I really, again, couldn't really care much more about them or much less about the money. Like it was more like, are they going to align with what I want to do? And they were like excited to share my story and just, you know, partner with me, which is super exciting. It's about time. Yeah. (laughs) And, and it was a good deal too. I will say that like, I'm happy to sign that contract and get the gear and um, take their support and that'll help alleviate um, any sort of like mom guilt I have and dipping into the family funds when I support my expensive hobby. Now it's, it's a little easier in that department. You know, my, Tim and I, obviously we raced pro as triathletes for many years. And when Tim got his first deal, it was with Polo, uh, Ralph Lauren, when they were supporting endurance athletes. And I remember I reached out to him randomly. He was still at an Ironman in New Zealand and he had won it. It was like his first win in like 1999 or something. And I go, I just found this contact and I was like, you need to sponsor Tim DeBoom. He's good looking. He's a great athlete. (laughs) You know, you're into triathlons and like, sure. How much do you think? And I was like a thousand bucks. And then I was never his agent again. <laughs> they were like, sure, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Oh, um, it was really funny. But what happened is that he started performing at the level that he always 
could perform, but he didn't have the support. He didn't have the confidence based on the fact that some other organization believed in him. And I believe that by getting this deal, which is way too long coming, but it is finally here and that they are aligned and that they believe in you, you are going to do wonders, Sarah. Thank you. I'm super excited. Yeah. To be a part of a team, to represent something besides just me. Um, yeah, all those things. And, um, uh, I can't wait to race again now. <laughs> well, I hope you got more than a thousand dollars too. I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. In fact, they even, they even, um, are giving me like some physio support. So like paying for massages and things like that, which is lovely. You know, one of the things I always thought sponsors should do is help us athletes with health insurance. Mm, that would be great. That would be, cool. that would be cool. But you know, one of the things that, um, I think we also wanted to make a point here is that there's been a lot of progress for women athletes in contract negotiations. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can share a little bit about what happened there for you. Yeah. Well, I think like we've talked about before, you know, when I was coming out of college with a kid, it was just unheard of that, that you would get a professional um, contract. Uh, I was told that I didn't fit brands, uh, images. And in a way I sort of understood that. I'm like, well, I guess maybe they don't want to represent moms and for whatever reason that doesn't align with their marketing plan. And there's been so much progress the last 10 years. And, um, to finally benefit from that progress that I hoped I like spurred to begin with, um, is, is like pretty satisfying. Um, I mean, now you hear women, they get pregnancy clauses written in. Um, they don't get dropped by their brands when they start a family. They even are like used in the marketing and, um, and celebrated, uh, which is, which is just awesome. So yeah, it's, it's really kind of a full circle moment. You know, I hope you wrote one of those pregnancy clauses in because <laughs> I have to ask the same question I asked five years ago. Do you think you're going to pop out another one between now and the next Olympic trials? I do not. We have permanently amended that situation. I um, scheduled Brent's appointment when I was like still in labor with David. I was like, you're going tomorrow. Um so no, we're good. I mean, I do think we might grow our family in other ways down the road, but not with me carrying any children. Like we've talked about adoption and foster care for a long time. And we've done some training for some like respite care here in Boulder. Um, so I fully inspired by Ellen Hart, who, um, who I'm sure, you know, through our rally family who does some CASA care and, um, kind of got me into the scene. So we just finished up some training for some respite care, foster care. Wow, that is that doesn't surprise me, but I I I wasn't, you know, it wasn't on top of mind. You know, you've always given back and you your family has hearts of gold. Oh, um thanks. one of the things that I think was just in the early stages uh 5 years ago was your foundation or or scholarship fund for women in college who are pregnant and, you know, trying to raise children. How is that going? It's been so cool. So we haven't been able to scale it to a nonprofit yet. Um, someday I hope to, to do that, but we've had three recipients and they've all been amazing people. Um, one was a combat vet with twins, um, who needed some child care support. Um, our second was a Somali, um, 
she was a refugee and had had a baby here in the U.S. and was trying to get a degree. And now she has a catering business here in Boulder. And just some like really cool stories have come from it. And I'm so happy to write that check, you know, every year um, because so basically it goes to parenting undergraduates at CU Boulder. It's specific to CU Boulder right now, um, but we do hope to expand it to um, a foundation or a nonprofit that could support, you know, people trying to get their degrees um, and help pay for some of their childcare. Well, yeah, because you were once in their shoes and mm-hmm. you know how hard it is when there are no resources available. What if people want to support, how do they find your fund? If you go to the CU giving website, um, just through Google, um, it's called the Vaughn family, uh, endowed child, childcare fund, something like that. If you, if you search Vaughn, if you search my last name, on the giving website, you can give that way. Great. Well, I, I have a feeling it will grow because everything that you're doing is done with pure intentions. And that I believe is why you're seeing so much success. Thank you. Yeah. I, I totally um, believe that as well. You know, what do you want other women athletes to take away from your story? I think it's, really important to know um, that your journey or your path to success doesn't have to look like someone else's. Um, I was, I've been talking a lot with Amy Hastings Craig, who I think she's run 221 um, in the marathon. And she's been kind of an advisor for me this past, you know, marathon buildup. And she's been a good friend for a long time. And her, I hope to run as fast as her in the next three years but my story looks completely different than hers. And I just, I think it's okay to recognize that like, it doesn't mean you can't get there just because your story looks different. Um, there's multiple ways to reach a destination. And um, I th- yeah, I think that's just really important. Yeah. And that's really well said, you know, there really isn't a playbook that yeah. you have to follow in the yeah. sport that you've chosen or any career that, that we pursue. Right. Um, you know, another thing that's sort of hit me is that you've been raising three girls and, you know, as mothers of girls, there's a lot of talk of like raising strong girls and, you know, the old white men syndrome. Well, guess (laughs) what? You popped out a boy. So (laughs) how, you know, how do you raise a boy in this world? to both, you know, raise a strong boy, but also respect raising strong women. Yeah. I met this little boy at a race. I think it was in 2017 or 2018 at a track race. He wanted my autograph after the race. He wanted my bib number. And I thought it was, at first I was like, thought it was a little strange that a boy wanted my, you know, usually it's like little girls. And I wrote my signature and I gave it to him and his mom was like, he's been a fan of yours for a long time. Um, and he loves that you're a mom and taking care of kids and doing these other things. I thought that was so profound, but my favorite thing about the whole interaction was that his shirt said boys will be boys, but then it had the second boys crossed out and it said good humans. And I was like, that's such a beautiful philosophy. Like boys will be good humans. Girls will be good humans. The way I raise them. It's not really going to be dramatically different. You know, I plan to teach Davey, all the things that I teach my girls, that girls are capable of 
you know, anything they want and boys are too. Um, and just like that mutual respect and yeah, I don't see anything being vastly different, but I think it's important to teach boys, oh, you know, all the things that, that they should be learning that in this evolving world, um, but primarily that they should be good humans. Yes. Good humans. I love that. We need to transcend our genders at this point. It's time. (laughs) Um, Well, as we're nearing the end of our time together, I did have one more question I just thought of, and now I've forgotten it, but it will come back to me. I promise. (laughs) Um, This is what it is. Are you, when you're in the off season, you are dedicated to taking your downtime. And I love that about you because too many athletes don't. When will you race again? I will race in March. I'm, I'm pretty torn right now between returning to the track in the spring or continuing road racing. So I have some decisions to make probably this week. Um, but it looks like whichever path I choose, it'll be something in March. Well, the so fact that your, your career is evolving, I think you've got another decade now. You're 35? Yeah. Yeah. So now you'll, you know, at some point you'll come back to marathon, maybe, maybe not in March, um, but uh, sometime you will. And then you'll hit some trail running and then you'll do ultras. And then, you know, by the time you're 45, you'll be doing the Ironman. And um, (laughs) I think we're going to see a lot more of you, Sarah, because you are somebody who has proven that you can evolve. Thank you. Thank you. I'm super excited. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask my final question that I asked you five and a half years ago, and that is, if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? I mean, I think I have to sort of stick to my same answer that you have to take care of yourself first, um, but I'll add on that by saying that um it shouldn't come with any guilt, any mommy guilt, anything like that. Like you're not being selfish, you're taking care of yourself and there is a difference. Um, so to go ahead and do that so that you can keep showing up for the people you love. Keep showing up by taking care of yourself without guilt. I love it. Sarah, you are my favorite athlete. I can't wait to see what you do next. (laughs) Thank you.